Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for that reminder of who you are and how much you love us. God, we want to come before you and just give you glory for who you are. Thank you for being a God who gives all and has given all to us. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for dying the cross for our sins. God, we want to come before you this morning and just lay our prayer request on your feet. Lord, I know there are some of us here this morning that are just hurting. We need you today, Lord. God, I pray that you'll just wrap your arm around those in this building that, that just need to know that you're there, Lord. And thank you, too, for being the God that carries us at times. We need to be carried. God, we want to pray for those, too, who are ailing with health issues. God, we want to lift those up to you. We just ask for healing. We ask that in your name, Lord. God, we thank you that you've given us a place You've given us a country even, Lord, that we can worship you in freedom. God, what a blessing that is. We don't want to take that for granted, but we also feel that we need to continue to be called up, to be bold for you, and not be passive in our faith. God, we want to thank you for those who are serving for us, those who are in the military serving across our globe. God, we want to pray for safety for them. We thank you for the freedom they fight for us for. God, we want to also lift up our leadership, not only here in Alaska, but in our nation, Lord. We just pray that your hand will fall on our leaders, Lord. They will just hear you, and they will lead in a way that's honoring to you, Father. God, we want to also lift this city up to you. God, it's amazing the number of churches across the city right now that are worshiping you, glorifying you. And we thank you for that. We want to be in unity with the other churches in the city, God. We thank you that we can be. God, this morning as we spend time in your word, I pray that you'll speak to us individually, not only as a corporate body, but just that we'll have an opportunity to pull that mirror out. And as you speak to us, we'll be able to look in that mirror and see the reflection of who you want us to be. I pray that'll be challenging, but I also pray that'll be comforting too. Holy Spirit, we just ask right now that you will just be here. We know you already are. And we thank you for the work that you're doing in our lives. God, we want to give this morning to you. We want to give this time to you. We love you, Lord. In your name we all pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Thank you. Good morning. Back to you. It's good seeing you here this morning. My name is Brian one of the pastors on staff. I'm the youth pastor for our junior high and high school youth ministries as well as for our college and career ministry as well here at Cornerstone. And, and I'm just honored to be here with you. I'm glad that we get to open God's word and spend time together in that. As we get started, I have a question for you. I want to ask you, what does God want? What does God want? Another way to ask that question is, maybe what's God's will? What's God's will for our life? And I think a lot of times we, we feel like there's almost some fear in asking that question to God. Like, what is God's will for my life could mean he would take me to a place that I don't know that I could go. I mean, take me away from my family, take me away from the things that are comfortable for me. Or he'll challenge me to do things that are outside of my box. I know for me, years before I was married, I was, I was really honestly afraid of who God would give me in marriage. I mean, I kind of viewed God like he had this box. And he'd say, hey, Brian, look what I have for you. Ha-ha! 
And I was like, oh, Lord, why that? It's funny how we have a tendency to assume God would give us something less that would give us complete fulfillment and enjoyment for life. And I look now after being married for a number of years and go, man, God gave me an awesome wife. I mean, she's an incredible mother. And most of all, she loves and she fears God. The question of God's will for us, though, is a perplexing question. I've lost track of the number of times where I've sat down with individuals who are agonizing over what God's will for their life is and what he has for them. You know, asking questions like, what school should I go to? What job should I take? Who should I marry? This morning, we're going to take a fascinating look at what the Apostle Paul has for us and what he suggests God's will is for our life and what God wants from us. So if you'll turn with me to Romans chapter 12, we're going to dig back into Romans. We're going to camp on verses 1 and 2 this morning. So Romans 12, 1 and 2. If you'll follow along with me. It starts this way. Therefore, okay, let's stop there. I mean, seriously, this is a fascinating word. I remember when I was going to Bible school, I had, a, I had a professor that kind of pounded this in our head. He said, when you come across the word therefore as you're studying God's word, it's good to know what it's there for. Really. I mean, when you see the word therefore, it means there's a lot of things that have happened prior to this, and now we're going to respond to what's already been said. And as we look in Romans, there's 11 chapters of God proclaiming his unbelievable, wonderful, and unconditional grace of Jesus Christ for us. And for me, I remember it was that grace that saved me in the darkest times of my life. Is when I felt like I had no hope left, and I was trying so hard to do things to make God love me. The thing was, he knew my sin, obviously. He knew the darkest parts of my heart. And the thing is, I realized later that he loved me anyway. He loved me anyway. It's that grace that did away with the law. And this is what Paul is talking about here. Therefore, because of the amazing grace that God has shown and bestowed upon us by sending Jesus to die on the cross for our sins, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in the view of God's mercy, When you see this as he starts this here, he says, I urge you. Another way to say that is, I beg you, or I beg of you. I mean, this is a letter that Paul's writing. It's not just a, hey, how's it going? Oh, cool, how's the weather there? Sweet, what are you doing tonight? This is not a letter of just how are things going. This is a letter of urgency. Paul is saying here, I urge you, I beg of you, listen to what I have to say. In the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. This morning as I I preach through this, we're going to have three points. And the first point is this. Give God your body. Give God your body. Do you know that Satan, he loves generalities? Satan loves generalities. You know why? Because he knows we're not specific enough to do anything about it. I've heard people say to me before, I gave God my life, or I gave my life to God. And I always say, dude, that's awesome. So what did you give him? And they kind of step back a little bit and say, well, well, I I gave my life to God. I'm like, that's awesome. What did you give him? Folks, our life 
is wrapped up in this thing we call our body. And the thing is, we love our bodies, right? I mean, we go to great lengths to make ourselves look good and feel good and alleviate pain. I mean, this comes true to me. I remember there was a number of years ago that I coached fast pitch softball at a Christian college. And so I, every year for, for about five years, had 20 college ladies that I coached. And the funny thing about that was it didn't matter if we were traveling, if we were in the, in the, on a bus or in the locker room before a game or wherever we were at, I would walk in to, to talk to the team in this fume of like hairspray and perfumes and I'm like, what is going on here? And remember, bugs are sitting there going, help me, you know, stuck to the floor. I'm joking. But the, the point is I'd walk into the locker room to talk to the ladies about the game and they're, they got their, their makeup on and they're all done up in their softball uniform. I'm like, ladies, we're not going to prom. We're going to play softball. You're going to get dirty today. But we love our bodies. And if you read in Romans chapter 6, it says this. It says that we are to offer our body parts to be used as instruments for the use of God. And if we do that, the end result for us is what? Life. But we also have the choice to allow, offer our parts of our body to Satan for the, him to be used. And if that happens, we choose to allow Satan to use our parts of our body the end result is death. But that's obviously not his desire. God's desire for us is that we use our hands, we use our feet, our eyes, our mind, our heart, everything about us, and we give it to him. We give it to him. Not just the things that we go, I don't know, I, could, I don't know if I can control this, so I'll give this to you, God, today, and maybe take it back later. Everything, everything. And really, it's all his anyway. It's all God's. And the thing is, he... He doesn't want to just be our God on Sunday morning. The idea is that we don't just put our Sunday morning God face on. Okay, God, I want you to be the God of Sunday morning in church. But he also wants us to be his God. He wants to be the God of our locker room. He wants to be the God in your marriage. He wants to be the God in your workplace. And he wants to be the God in your home. He wants every part of you to be used for his glory. So if you want to know what the will of God is for your life, give him your body. Let's look again at the passage. He says, I urge you in the view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. We're to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. Think about this, living sacrifice. I mean, look at those two words. They shouldn't go together. They shouldn't go together. Living sacrifice. It's kind of like saying, Pretty ugly, right? Those two words shouldn't go together. Or what about this? Jumbo shrimp. Those two words shouldn't go together. Living sacrifice. I mean, if you think back to Old Testament times, Pastor Brad was talking about this a second ago, there were no sheep that came back from the sacrifice, right? I mean, they were totally consumed, completely consumed. God does not want a dead sacrifice, I mean, this is evident in Alaska, and we're very used to this. If you go to see a, a crystal clear stream or a stagnant pond, right, those crystal clear streams have the ice cold water just flowing through them. I mean, they, there's, there's, it's coming in, it's moving out, and it's not just little ripples, it is moving. I mean, there's something going on there. And we also see different areas where there's just a stagnant pond. There's no flow in, and there's no flow out. It's just sitting there. There's no life. This came to reality for me about 12 years ago. I took a youth group to a Bible camp here in Alaska, and it was during spring break. And you know how spring break is in Alaska. It's the wintertime, right, not spring. 
And so it was un- unseasonably warm that year. And so the snow had melted off the mountains. The lakes were actually already unfrozen. The sun was out. It was really, really warm for that time of the year. And so we had decided during the camp to take our youth group down to the lake and we go swimming. It sounded like a pretty good idea at first. And so as we were down there, the students were kind of getting squirmish. They were like, I don't know, it might be kind of cold. They were kind of starting to back away from the idea of swimming. And so I challenged them. You know, youth pastor, I dare you. If I do it, will you do it? Kind of a thing. So I dared them. I said, hey, if I go in first, will you go in after me? They're all, yeah, sure, Pastor B. If you go, we'll follow you. So I jumped in. I don't know what I was thinking. That was the coldest water I'd ever felt in my life. For some reason, I think I thought, I'm in Texas. It's 70 degrees. I'll just jump in. That wasn't the case. That water was so cold, I seriously shot out of that water like a rocket. I have never been so cold in my life. And the funny thing about it was I, I lost my breath. I'd never felt the feeling of taking my breath away. And it was just, well, after I got married, that, that was the other time. Got to check that off. The, but I came out like, I can't breathe. And I'm freaking out. I'm flopping like a fish all over the water. And my students are dying. They're laughing. They're cracking up. And it, it just became so fun. They all started jumping in too. But the thing about that was every fiber in my body shouted, I'm alive. I mean, I just came alive. A living sacrifice. That, was, that hit me in the face. A living sacrifice. I grew up being taught that Christianity was a very, fa- a very Pharisaic or legalistic thing. I was taught that there was like 10 or 12 things that you had to do all the time and about nine nasties that you avoided at all costs. That's how I was raised. And in order to be a good Christian, these are the things you had or had not to do. And so, you know, the list was like you couldn't chew and you weren't supposed to smoke and you couldn't cuss or, or you couldn't go dancing or you couldn't go to the movies or you couldn't play cards. There's all this list of these nasties. And now, again, please understand, I'm not advocating, obviously, any of those things. But when I was in high school, it hit me like a ton of bricks. I started thinking through this, and I thought, if it's not just doing of those things to make me a good Christian, then I started thinking, you know, the best Christians out there are mannequins. I mean, seriously. You know what a mannequin, right? I mean, they don't do anything. Mannequins don't do anything. They don't drink or cuss or smoke or the list. And the scary thing about a mannequin is just that one time you actually bump into them in the store and you think they're alive and you just keep talking to them. You ever had that experience where you bump into them, you're like, oh, excuse me, and then you realize, oh, it's a piece of plastic. I'm so sorry. Like, wait a minute, I'm still talking to them. We've had that experience. When I was a senior in high school, my dad was in the military and we were stationed in Germany. And, we, and it was, it's, it's popular there to not only have plastic mannequins to model their clothes, but they have real people that do the same thing. So my best friend and I, again, seniors in high school, thought it would be a really cool idea to go to the store and be these mannequins just for the fun of it. So we went to the store, and seriously, we did this. We stood by a bunch of other plastic mannequins in the clothing store and stood there really still. Just, I don't know why. We thought it was cool. And so we did this, and seriously, you know what happened? There was a couple old German ladies that came by and were seriously feeling the material on my coat. And I'm freaking out. It's like, well, I can't believe this is happening right now. And if you know me, what I did was, hey, how's it going? And I got real still again. And seriously, that German lady, she freaked out. She was knocking over clothes racks, running away from me, screaming, he's alive, he's alive. It was a crazy experience. But my argument is this. It's not about the list. But if you're plugged into Jesus, you will be alive. You will be alive. It's a day-by-day relationship with him. God is calling us. He wants us to be a living sacrifice. Let's read the scripture again. I urge you, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, 
holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Folks, the greatest act of worship that we can give God is when we take the things that he's given us and we give them right back to him. We give them right back to him. We need to give God our body. Everything from top to bottom, inside and out, we need to give him our body. Number two is this. God wants your will. God wants your will. Another way to ask that is, or say that is, give him your life. Give him your life. And when I think about that, I want to ask you this. Who owns you? Who owns you? I mean, I'm not saying, let's say the the popular five, like, you know, it's God in my life first, and that's my family, and that's my work. But really, who owns you? Does your company own you? Do they own you? Do your friends own you? Or how about this? Does your TV or cell phone own you? Because here's the thing. Whoever owns you is what controls you, forms you, and molds you. I don't know if you've ever heard the story about Jim Elliott and the Aka Indians. This is a tremendous story of how God works in people's lives. I'll give you a brief version here. Jim Elliott and a bunch of other men had felt the calling of God to reach out to these native Aka Indians. And so they, over time, were trying to get in touch with them, give them, drop them goods, give them things to be able to create a, a contact. And the first physical opportunity they had to actually land and get contact with these Indians, they were killed. The very first moment they had a chance to meet them face to face. And the thing about that story is it doesn't end there. The cool thing is those men's wives felt God call and say, hey, we're going to continue to do what our men were doing. And they carried on. And, and as the story goes, these women had an opportunity to share the love of Jesus with these people, and they became Christians. And the cool thing was the man who killed Jim Elliot, the spear that killed Jim Elliot, ended up becoming the leader and pastor of the church, the Christian church there on that island. Incredible. But I wanted to read a quote that Jim Elliot said that just struck me. He says this, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Did you hear that? He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So let me ask you another question. If Jesus was to come to you tonight, come to the foot of your bed, and you were to wake up and see him, and he says, hey, come follow me. Follow me. Come, follow me. What would you say? I mean, seriously, when I thought through that, I thought, whoa, Jesus, that sounds really cool, but, um, man, I got a mortgage, Jesus. Um, I got a lot of responsibilities. I I mean, I have work, and I got to pay my bills, and my family, God, I can't leave my family. I mean, this question really is not out of the question. I mean, Jesus has done this before, right? He did this with his disciples. And the disciples dropped every means of living that they had. They left everything to follow Jesus. And the truth about the matter is, he really is doing the same for us. He is calling us. He is calling you to do the same. So how do we give him our will? How do we give him our life? Number three is this. Give him your mind. Give him your mind. Verse two says this. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. One of the things, I, I, could, I could tell you a whole bunch of fun things about me in one sermon. I'm a huge history buff. And one of the things that I enjoy about history is, is seeking out individual people and going, wow, that's a cool story. I need to remember that. 
And there's this individual in history, his name is Genghis Khan. And he was the great Mongol emperor. And during his time of reign, he controlled majority of the known earth of the world at that time. And the thing that's interesting about him, he was able and his armies were able to conquer nations, cities, and, and armies that were vastly larger than his. And years later, he was asked, he said that he was asked, you know, how are you able to conquer armies and cities way, way larger than yours? How is that possible? And he said this. He goes, it was easy. You would just bribe the gatekeeper. You just bribe the gatekeeper. Folks, our mind is our gate. Our mind is our gate. And sometimes in today's culture, the Christian culture that we live in, sometimes we don't even place a guard there. So there's no one there for Satan to even bribe. I mean, sometimes we have a hard time knowing the mind of God because we replace him with things that break the heart of God. Did you catch that? Sometimes we have a hard time knowing what the mind of God is because we replace him with things that break the heart of God. I heard a speaker one time share the story that illustrates this. He talked about how him and his wife and his family, his, his kids, decided they were going to sit down and watch a movie. And he invited his father-in-law over to watch this movie with him. So they're sitting down there watching the film, and as the movie's going on, he's noticing his father-in-law's kind of getting antsy and just kind of, he's like, what's going on here? He's noticing something's not right with his father-in-law. And finally, as the movie goes on, the father-in-law just gets up and says, this is it. I've had it. I can't handle this. This is ridiculous. I can't understand how you can allow this in your home. How can you allow your family to watch this? And the speaker said he actually got angry and looked at his father-in-law and said, hey, the operative word you just said here is my home, my home. So the father-in-law said, okay. So let's say someone came to your door, knocked on your door, and you answered the door, and that person or those group of people treated your family the way they're treating each other on the show. What if they talked to your wife or your kids the way they're talking, about, talking to each other here in this movie? What would you do? And of course, the speaker said, I kick him out of my house. And the father-in-law said, they're here. You already let them in. They're already here. Sometimes we tolerate things in the movies we watch, the music we listen to, and the TV that we see that we would never tolerate from a real person. If we would just put a guard in our mind, we wouldn't struggle as much with understanding and knowing the heart of God and what his will for our life is. We have to give God our body. We have to give him our life, our will. And we need to give him our mind. So you might say, well, okay, that's great, but what all, what all those things have to do with knowing what God's will for my life is? Let's look back at the scripture again. Look with me. Paul says, I urge you, I beg of you, in the view of God's mercy, of all the things that he's done for us, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then, then, you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good pleasing, and perfect will. Like I said earlier, I've talked with many people before who agonize over what God's will for their life is. They're asking questions like, should I go to this school or should I go to that school? Should I take this job or take that job? Should I marry this person or should I wait? I mean, all these questions, like should I go to this church or go to this church? And even those are all great questions and God does want us to talk to him about those things. 
These things have nothing to do with what God's will for our life is. Because if we're in communion with him, those questions won't be hard to answer. Now, that doesn't mean things are easy and, and life is perfect. Because of sin, we have to continue to go to him and give him our mouth, give him our ears, give him our mind, give him our heart. But Ephesians 2.10 says this, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us. Did you see what he's saying here? We are created by God. Not only created by him, but we are created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And then on top of that, Good works that have already been prepared in advance for us to do. God has amazing things for you and me to do. He has a lot that he wants to give us. There's things, he, places he wants us to go if we honor him. I have a video that I want you to see that will illustrate this a little bit. So I want to ask you the question again that I asked at the beginning of the sermon. What does God want? What does God want? He wants you. He wants you. Pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. God, this is, I know, super challenging for us. God, I pray that this morning as we take a look at your word and we see the promises that you've made for us. God, I know this time hearing some of this is challenging for some of us. And Lord, it needs to be. You're calling us up, God. You're asking us to give you everything that we have. God, I know for some of us this is an encouragement too. God, there's people that are here, Lord, that have been seeking you, asking you what your will for their life is, God. Lord, this morning we just pray that for those of us that are here that already have a relationship with you, I pray, God, this will continue to challenge us to remember to give you everything that we have, to not be in control, to honor you with our life, everything about us, the things we think about, the things we say, the things that we do. And Lord, for those of, of, in this room that might not have a relationship with you yet, God, I pray this will be an eye-opening experience for them to go, yes, I need Jesus. We pray for that too, Father. God, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for how you created us and what you desire for us. Thank you, Lord, so much. Thank you for loving us. In your name we pray, amen.